Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast. My name is Lucas Holmgren and I'm happy to have you here with me. This podcast will involve a lot of different things, uh, including reading articles from the Salmon Trout Steelheader magazine, having a few guests in to do some interviews and going over just a lot of information and content related to Salmon Trout Steelhead. And for the inaugural episode, episode one, We'd like to go all the way back to 1967 to the very first issue of Salmon Trout Steelheader. Now, when Frank Amato started the magazine, his favorite writer was Roderick Haig Brown. And he reached out to Roderick Haig Brown in a letter asking if uh, he would be willing to submit an article for Frank's new magazine. Now, the magazine took off, being that other magazines at the time didn't really go into depth with those species, or perhaps they were a little too general. It really took the hearts of many of the readers and continues to, to this day. So today I'll be reading the article by Roderick Haig-Brown called, Will the Chinook Take a Fly? A few mature fall Chinooks are taken on the fly in saltwater each year as they approach their spawning streams. These fish, often in the 30 or 40 pound class, usually respond to large streamer flies that are being trolled for cohos, and the response, no doubt, is a residual reflex conditioned by several years of saltwater feeding, as is the response of similar fish to plugs or spoons or mooched herring. I feel quite sure that large immature Chinook feeding actively near the surface in saltwater could be taken quite readily on large streamer flies, though I have never had the luck to run into this set of circumstances. Once the big fall chinook move up into freshwater, they become very difficult fish to move by any means. One may hook a fish or two in a pool holding a hundred or more of them by patient casting of a spoon or spinner, but it is a slow, uncertain business. I have fished for them a good deal in this way and can recall only one day when the fish took freely. On that September day, some 35 years ago, a friend and I fished the last tidal pool of the Nimpkish River on Vancouver Island from 3 in the afternoon until dark and never made more than 2 or 3 casts without a strike. They were all large fish, 30, 40, and 50 pounders, and all fresh and strong. Several hit the spoons we were fishing almost as they landed on the water, and I have often wondered what a large bright fly might have done under the particular conditions of that unusual day. Since that time, I have made conscientious attempts to catch fresh-run fall chinooks by orthodox fly fishing methods. Though I know my flies passed over scores of fish, I have never had the slightest success in this deliberate fishing. As a check, I have usually taken along a casting rod and have several times hooked a fish on a smallish lure within a few minutes after casting over the same fish for several hours with my assorted flies. Yet, large fall chinooks can be taken by ordinary fly fishing methods. I know because I have taken them. In fact, on more than one occasion, I have had to stop fishing wet and turn to a floating fly to avoid taking them. Other steelhead fishermen I know have had similar experiences on other streams. In the Campbell, this nearly always happens in October when I'm fishing for steelhead or cutthroats. And just as the big fish are beginning to move into shallower water with serious thoughts of spawning, though I have hooked one or two fish in the same way as early as mid-September over fairly deep water. It is probably no more than coincidence, but all the fish I have hooked in this way, perhaps a score or more, have taken the same fly, in number six silver brown. This is a very simple tie on a low water hook as follows. 
Tail, Indian crow, whole feather. Body, flat silver tinsel. Hackle, natural brown. Wing, strips of golden pheasant tail enclosing a few strands of orange bear fur. It has been a very successful fall fly for me, and I use it a good deal, though by no means consistently enough to account for its exclusive effect on the big Chinooks. This range of experiments and experiences has all taken place on the Campbell River on Vancouver Island, a short-run stream with one and a half miles of spawning water below an impassable falls. This short stretch harbors an annual run of six to 8,000 large Chinooks, ranging from 25 to over 70 pounds. The first fish, perhaps two or three hundred, enter the river in August, but the main run does not show up in the freshwater pools until September. Spawning starts in the latter part of October and continues through most of November. During the past few years, I have been able to observe these fish quite closely through skin diving. When they first come in, they are extremely nervous, more so than the pink and the coho salmon and migratory trout very much more so than the resident trout. They prefer to hold in the swiftest and deepest water they can find and do so without the slightest effort. A few individuals ease out into quiet water, approximately the normal steelhead holding spots during September, and become much more approachable. By mid-October, most of the fish have spread out towards the shallower water, and once the spawning starts, a diver can reach out and touch them before they will move, and even then they will shortly return to their chosen holding places. These patterns may not apply exactly to longer rivers where the Chinooks travel considerable distances to their spawning areas. No doubt there is some acclimatization to freshwater conditions during the migration, but I suspect the pattern has at least general bearing. At their first arrival, the fish will be nervous and excitable and will cling to the protection of fast and deep water where it is difficult to work a fly properly. They will then settle down and spread into more promising positions, and the chances of hooking them by orthodox fly fishing methods will be vastly improved, though their responsiveness appears to vary sharply from day to day. In the final stage, when spawning has started, no fisherman wants to bother them. Most of the fish I have hooked in the Campbell have fought actively and well, and I have usually been able to beach them or tail them after an hour or more of hard work with a five ounce fly rod. A few have gone off into deep water and sulked, and when this happens, I usually break off the proceedings. The October fish are still in good shape, but quite dark. Both my September fish were still silvery. Since I always release the fish, if I am lucky enough to beach them, performance matters more than condition or appearance, but one would naturally prefer to hook fish in the full strength and quality of their first arrival. The question remains, can this be done? I am inclined to think it can be. The Campbell has been closed to all salmon fishing from August 15th to November 15th for several seasons past, and in any event I banded by experiments some years before that. Consequently, I've never tried anything approaching a high-density line, with a really fast sinker and a fly balance to sink as fast or a little faster. It would be possible to work reasonably well in the deep, swift water fish prefer on their first arrival. In spite of their apparent preoccupation with the hazards and uncertainties of their strange surroundings, it is difficult to believe that there would not be one or two among them that would turn to a smallish fly, swimming and darting around nearby. 
Such fishing calls for patience and persistence, but success means a spell of action lively enough to satisfy any fly rod enthusiast. The power of a 30 or 40 pounder hooked on fly gear in the fast water of a stream has to be felt to be believed. No fall chinook in this size range can be beached without a combination of skill, ingenuity, fast footwork, clear thinking, and luck. And beached or not, the impact of the strike and the surging strength of the first long run will make a memory to cherish and seek again. And there it is. The article from the 1967 Salmon Trout Steelheader issue of August and September. And Roderick Haig Brown would go on to supply many more articles for Salmon Trout Steelheader, which we will be reading in future episodes of the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast. So make sure you're subscribed. Please tell your friends. And if there's anything you'd like to hear about on the podcast, please go to SalmonTroutSteelheader.com and contact us. And you can also read a multitude of articles on SamatroutSteelheader.com. And of course, pick up the magazine in your local newsstands or subscribe and get it mailed right to your door. So that was a unique snapshot, 1967, and he's even referring to 20 or 30 years prior to that. Of course, the size of fish makes a person really want to go back in time and fish those waters when you hear about 25 to 70 pound Chinook and uh, hooking 30, 40, and 50 pounders in, in one pool. and Pretty incredible stuff. Of course, these days, some new amazing developments have came along for hooking fresh Chinook and strong water. And of course, the rods and the gear and the flies have improved massively. But it is good to get the perspective of a rider back in 1967 and hear about his quest for Chinook salmon on the fly. So, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be covering a multitude of topics coming up as well as bringing in a few guests for some interviews. And this episode was brought to you by AmatoBooks.com. Go to Amato Books for some of the finest books, maps, charts ever written about fishing. Incredible content that you won't find anywhere else. AmatoBooks.com.